Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I secretly miss the mute days. <laughs> what fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Who says you know everything? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I am one decorative basket from having a nice home. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. This is a Little House in the Prairie podcast now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And this week we are talking about overthinking, Amy. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about this. Overthinking might be your superpower. <laughs> I feel like I kind of have the rap self-generated of like, Amy's so uptight and I'm just go with the flow. But I am also an overthinker. I think... I mean, this is the problem with overthinking because it reads negative, right? Like, I don't overthink and look at you, loosen up, you know? Right. But in fact, like your whole job as a mom is to overthink stuff, right? To be like, oh. how are you going to injure, burn, ruin, or disasterify yourself by interacting with that object? Like, that's your whole job pretty much, isn't it? I wrote a book on this, the parenting book that I wrote back in 2010, which I can't believe was that long ago, called When Did I Get Like This? Like my whole sort of POV was that there is an industrial complex set up around motherhood that is there to make us feel off balance and insecure. And if you're not overthinking every single thing, then you're not doing the job. And then once they have you successfully overthinking the thing, then they mock you for being an overthinker. It drives me nuts. But I think each of us is an overthinker and... Thank God our friends aren't the overthinker about that thing. And so we can kind of help each other out. That's right on because, yes, we overthink things. And this is the thing. I mean, my Aunt Terry, who's been on the podcast, who's kind of a guru of mine in, in many ways, she says this all the time. Like she says she looks at her daughter so Terry's born, I won't say, but in the, let's say the 1930s. <laughs> She's even older than we are. <laughs> yes. And her daughter is born in the 1960s. And she always says like, I feel like my life was so much easier because I didn't have a range of choices. Mm -hmm. I just went to high school. Then I went to college and I was told like, meet a man by the end of that or you'll be an old maid and then get married and then take care of your family. Like that was the path. I never questioned my path. I never thought to myself, am I supposed to be happy? Am I supposed to be fulfilled? And then with babies, it was like, I guess I'll just figure it out as I go along. Like there were no books. There was no nothing. And I do think we are at 
a very specific point in time where the amount of information available to us is kind of a nightmare. You know, my mom would always tell me about the things that Dr. Narrett, my pediatrician, had said, and I think she took great comfort from them, like an older guy, like paternalistic medicine, just the stuff we're supposed to push back on now, right? Like, who says you know everything? Well, yeah, like when I was born, my mom could go to the pediatrician and this nice older man with white hair would say, she's fine. You just need to give her an extra bottle. And my mother would go home and feel good about that because Dr. Narrett said, and yeah, I, right. I do think I yearn for that simplicity sometimes. For sure. Except for this flip side of Dr. Narrett, of course, was like your mom would also have like some sort of not your mom. One would go in and have some sort of advanced uterine disease and would be told you're hysterical. (laughs) You just need to calm down. Like she did. Yes. My mother did eat half a sandwich for lunch throughout being pregnant with me, lest she gain more than like 18 pounds or some craziness. This is the problem. So like I'm not yearning for the good old days. Guys, don't mistake me. But I do think that like. In reading the many responses. So we went to our Facebook group, which is at facebook.com forward slash what first hellcast and asked you all what you overthink about. And of course, we got many, a myriad of wonderful responses. Cavalcade. But it did strike me reading through them and getting prepped for this episode that like, oh, the problem a little bit is that people are under the illusion that A, because of social media, everyone is doing this better and being more successful than them at it. And B, there is a book that will tell you how to do this correctly. Mm-hmm. And that there is a path to freedom somehow through this wood. And that if you just can crack the code on the path, there's happiness at the end of that path. And so spoiler alert before we begin, there is no such thing as that path. Right. And the more you, time you spend on this stuff, like the more time you spend trying to figure out the right way to introduce your baby to solid food, the more work you're going to see that you need, right? Like the more, once you really start looking at that, my goodness, I need to be milling my own food. And my goodness, am I considering the sourcedness of each vegetable that comes into our house? Like the more work you do, the more work there is to do. That's exactly right. That it's a Pandora's box of worry, basically, that like Uh you never find you can never check the box that is your kid is a good eater because there's always then like the book comes out and you're like, do you know, French people, their children eat snails, never complain and are happier all the time and generally better at life. And you're like, wait a minute, I just finished milling my organic food. Now you're telling me I have to raise them like these French people? Like, it is a constantly moving goalpost. Yes, there is always somebody new to say the way you're doing it is exactly the wrong way. Yeah, so I feel like, spoiler alert, overthinking is something that everybody does and is fairly useless. I think that's what we're going to kind of head towards in this episode. But let's get there step by step, Amy. Okay. All right. We had a lot of people who were like, okay, I overthought everything. Amanda says pretty much everything. Lindy says, looking back to say any day that I've been a parent, I'd pretty much say I overthink everything. Difficult to narrow it down. Right. I think that's our assignment as parents. We're not here to like shame the stupid people who overthink like we all do this. But maybe I think by talking about it, you can make it a little easier to put some of it down sometimes. I think she pronounces her name Kelly. Kelly or Kelly. I'm not sure. Says this. And I think it really gets to what we're talking about. I spent months researching cribs for my first, like WTF. Looking back, I'm realizing that pregnancy infancy has so many elements that are out of your control that if you're an in-control kind of person like me, you tend to overdo it on the research for the minutia that is actually controllable, like a crib or what kind of pacifier you should buy. 
Yep. And this is the <laughs> hashtag pray for my husband, she says, which. Yeah, exactly. Like Amy just said it. It's so easy to like goof on people for their like 86 page binder that they hand to their mother when the mother's going to watch the baby for six hours. Right. Right. Like that's the easiest joke in the world. Like look at old Crazo over there with her binder. But this is a thing that is a real thing. We understand why this is happening because children are very, it's literally like you give birth to a piece of yourself that then walks in this incredibly vulnerable, shellless state outside of your body. Yeah. And is in constant danger. And so the illusion of control is overthinking. And I think pregnancy, like this can really lock in because as Kelly was saying, it's just this moment where there's so much that's out of your control and so much you're anticipating with worry. So the thing I overthought when I was still pregnant was breastfeeding. That was the thing that I was sure was going to be a nightmare. I mean, I knew all about mastitis and all the other stuff that could happen before I had a baby and I was ready. Like, it will be horrible. I am going to go to the underworld here. And as soon as it gets bad, you know, I'm going to stop the first time I get a fever. I'm not going to do it anymore. And my husband was like, okay, like whatever. And then it was actually fine. It never happened. The husband's just, you can picture everyone's husband's face while you talk about these things. It's basically my face now when my kids talk to me about Fortnite skins. You're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a thing. Okay. Like it's just I couldn't be less interested and this seems insane to me. I was just so sure it was going to be that I was going to hate it. I really couldn't get past it. And looking back on it now, I just think everybody has a thing, you know, that they worry about like And for you it was fine. Yes, for me. That's right. Like and none of that worry and research. Well, the research probably helped. That's not fair. But all of that stuff I put in ahead of time like the first sign of you know, I don't I'm going to want to get into the symptoms of mastitis. Who wants to hear those in the morning? Not me, please. But <laughs> but you see what I mean? Like I was ready for all the horrible things. And guess what happened? None of the horrible things like for me. And I'm not saying breastfeeding can't be a rocky road. It totally can. And of course, the first few weeks with each of my kid were pretty rocky. But it went on to be a, you know, a year of pleasantness that I wouldn't have traded for anything. But the overthinking didn't make that more likely to happen. It actually made it less likely to happen as I look back. Well, I'm going to bring up Aunt Terry for the second time in nine minutes. Okay. She has another phrase, which I think of all the time, which is like, she's like, I worry about everything because you never die of the thing you're actually worried about, <laughs> you know? And that's, it's always the thing of like, well, we have heart disease in my family. Five members of my family died before 60 of a heart attack that came out of nowhere. I am always getting my heart checked. And then you're going to like accidentally find like an unexploded World War II ordinance in your yard and blow yourself up. Like it just never. And I think that kids is the the same way, right? You're like, I'm going all in on breastfeeding. I'm going to get it right. And then your kid is an easy breastfeeder, but like won't eat any solid food. Right. You know, it's just always, as you said on the very first episode, Amy, and I quote you all the time, there's always a thing. There's always a thing and a yep. thing. Like it's never <laughs> the thing you're expecting. <laughs> there's always the things come in at least packs of two, sometimes more. I have a friend with a newborn right now, brings the baby home from the hospital. She's fussy. And then she tells me that at the hospital, she was told that they could not give the baby a pacifier for six weeks. And I'm like, who told you that? I'm like, That's crazy. And because I just think that this one in particular, we set the bar so high. And I'm not sure what we're scaring mothers about that. Like, if you 
give them one pacifier, one bottle. It's ruined forever. And just like, I don't know why you're saying that to a new parent, but this, just this particular arena, I think the ability to overthink, it's almost impossible not to. Right. And all the things are true. That's the other thing. Like breastfeeding. I didn't think anything about breastfeeding beforehand. I was like, I guess I'll just do that. I never gave it a thought. I never thought about it at all. Wow. And then I did not have a super successful breastfeeding experience in that I was always a very low producer. I was old and I had one breast that like never produced milk at all. I had all sorts of problems, but I was like, I guess I'll just give this kid a bottle once and then breastfeed the other time and it worked out fine like they were half and half all my kids and then I kind of made it to like I don't know six months with one a year for one and nine months with the other and they got some breast milk and a whole lot of formula and it was fine I just it's one of those things I didn't worry about and I got horrible mastitis horrible that's like I've told this story before because I was like I'm not feeling well and my husband was like you know what would make you feel better going on a jog and I went and ran for three miles and then I came home and I was literally oh. dying and I've never let him live it down with like two hot rocks on your chest <laughs> I was basically like I was like jogging home like that person crossing the marathon finish line like staggering around and then the doctor was like why did you go for a run you have horrible mastitis and you're quite sick and I was in bed for like two days and so that's been a fun thing for my husband to live down I'm like should I go for a run do you think do you think that's good advice oh boy but anyway I had a bad breastfeeding experience but I don't know I didn't stress out about breastfeeding and yet I am a person who completely stressed out about food. Like I made the homemade baby food. I was like, I have to range of foods. I have to introduce food slowly. I read a book and I got way too into it. And my mom, again, I mean, you could always look at your mom's face and be like, I think I'm on the wrong path here. But she would be like, you're doing what now? And I'm like, mom, I'm introducing foods one at a time because that's how you do it. And she was like, okay, what abs? And then of course I had three kids in four years And my last kid was like literally feeding herself lunch in nine months, whatever was around that she could grab off her brother's plates. My youngest, I had her at a baby shower, like, you know, in a carrier when she was five months old. And I remember I was tearing up like little teeny pieces of like tuna salad and egg salad sandwiches and, you know, and feeding them to her. And like, and my first I had started with just this and just that. I mean, he had reflux. So he had other problems, but I did not. I never made my own baby food. See, if you had a guess which one of us overthought the baby food. I don't think people would pick you. No, I don't know. I was convinced that I was worried about food. And then I ended up with three kids who are picky eaters because I am a picky eater. And I come from a family with, you know, kind of a lot of picky eating stuff going on. And I didn't avoid that fate. And I was convinced that I could re-steer that train. And now I was a person who was obsessed with not having picky eaters All my kids ended up being picky eaters. Mm. I spent so much time stressing about it and reading books and being like, New Food Wednesday and we'll introduce food. And in the quarantine pandemic time, my oldest, who has like sensory issues and was so picky at a certain point, he was down to like five foods that he would eat. And I was like, oh, no, my nightmares have come true. He now will waltz in the kitchen and be like, mom, what's guacamole? Can we try that? And now he's like making guacamole and eating it. He's like, what's pesto? I heard about that making pesto, eating it. Like he's just suddenly like, I'm interested in food. What's this? I'm going to try it. I mean, you can put attention to it to make it better, but you're 
overthinking, I guess the word indicates itself, right? Like it's the level of worry that is in itself not contributing to the solution, just making you crazy. I have thoughts on that. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. I want to read this one from Patty, who's a friend of ours. She says, this is her overthinking. I read a parenting book that said, you are responsible for every bite of food your toddler has access to. I remember reading the same thing when I was pregnant. Like, you are responsible for every bite of food that your baby receives while it's in your body. I mean, talk about overthinking. So she said she did whole grains, no juice, no artificial anything. Processed food was the enemy. Half of what was offered at church coffee hour was poison. It took so much vigilance. And now that they're teens, they eat pizza and ice cream all the time. And I wish I could have all the mental energy of those years back. That's the crux of this whole thing. And this is the thing. Yes. What your kids eat is kind of important. You know, this is the trick of it. It's like everything. It's kind of a spectrum and you want to be in the middle. Like you don't want to just be like, I'll feed them whatever works because you are forming, helping them form some habits that may be important later on, you know? But at the same time, like, do all teens end up eating a lot of pizza and ice cream? They do. 
I mean, I shouldn't say all. I know people who didn't. But let me also tell you that what I remember getting to college and I knew some people in college whose parents had been like, there's no sugar allowed in our house. And let me tell you what those kids ate a lot of in college, <laughs> sugar. So I just think all the balance, it's very hard to get it right. But the illusion that we're going to get it right is part of the problem. And the more, but like the more work that Patty did around, like, I'm going to make sure all the vegetables are organic. There's not going to be any gluten. There's not going to be adding any added sugars. The more of that she did, the more of that there was to do. That's so true. It's amazing to me how it just, right? The margins keep getting larger and larger. Now you have to look at what's in the sunscreens. Now you have to look at what's in, oh my God, it's all a lot. This is like, Let's talk about developmental stuff, because I think that this is a new world where we have recently come into a better understanding of things like autism, developmental delays, ADHD, things that present for most kids as developmental delays before the age of three and that early intervention can help with. That's all good news. Right. The bad news is that developmental delays have become this insane kind of marker where they are the top of the pyramid and that there is this constant checking of a checklist where like if your kid is not walking by one, they may have something wrong with them. They may never be happy. (laughs) And that is not good. Yeah. And so this is the same problem, right? Nothing is bad about checking your kids' developmental progress because there can be important indicators that you need to know there. But the flip side is kind of constant nightmare of like, oh my God, I worried so much. Sarah says, when would my son walk? He finally did it 15 months. Seemed like forever. I was so stressed out about it. I've told the story before that my father in his family was famous for not walking until he was 19 months old and that his mom ended up with like back problems because she carried him everywhere because she was so (laughs) embarrassed to admit that her 19 month old wasn't walking. Spoiler alert, my dad's now 85 and it all worked out just fine for him. But listen, I have a kid who had some developmental things going on that were markers for issues that were things that we've had to work on. And so I don't want to give you the advice of like, Eh, developmental delays are not interesting. Everyone's way too into it. But I will say that the amount of stress and nightmarishness that I encountered around him missing some developmental stuff, I wish I could go back and undo. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder, like, for Sarah, I understand why this would be stressful. But I wonder, like, do you start worrying about it at 11 months? Like, you know that your kid is supposed to be walking. I mean, I don't even remember when my second two started walking. I remember that my oldest was 13 months to the day, the day that he walked, like, into the next room, the day that he really walked, right? And not just, like, one or two Frankenstein steps. But the problem is I had started... I had my like eagle eye glasses focused on when was he going to start walking at like 10 months, right? Just to make sure it wasn't going to be late because it needed to be by this. You worry about this stuff before you even need to worry about it so that by the time they're actually 14 months and still not quite walking, you're in a deep panic because you've been worried for four months already. And this is the thing. And I think it goes back to the advice that we give a lot, which is hold it less tightly. That this idea of like, yes, should you have an eye on your kid's developmental progress so that if they are need help with some stuff that they're developmentally a little quote unquote behind on, that you're there to give them that support and help? Yes. But should you be starting at 11 months, not sleeping at night and being like, if my kid doesn't start to walk soon, that's a sign that he's got something really wrong that's going to alter the course of our entire lives? No. (laughs) 
there is a center point there. I think sometimes you can overthink, like one of the things I overthought that I've talked about before is sending one of my kids on to kindergarten or keeping him in pre-K for another year. And I mean, I really overthought this. And as I looked back, we did hold back. It was definitely the right answer for this kid. And I think at the time, I knew it was the right answer for the kid or else I wouldn't have been considering it. You know what I mean? But should I? But uh, but, uh, but what if it's going to be hard? But it was in my mind already that we might need to do it. And I decided to go around on the tumble dryer about it for a year instead of just going with it. It seems all of these decisions seem as you're making them like they're the hugest thing in the world. And, you know, I guess at least I can offer the perspective with older kids of you barely remember this stuff anymore, only that you really worried about it. Well, I feel like they call it red shirting when you hold your kindergartner back for a year. Yeah. I feel like the red shirting debate specifically is one of those things where it's like, I would basically argue that any kid is going to do better in the short term by being older than their classmates, because at the very young grades, that is developmentally a big, it's like the top of the developmental marker. You know, you're socially stronger, you're physically stronger, you're kind of better off being older, but you're not keeping a seven-year-old in kindergarten. You know, you're not doing it for the long term. It's not really a solution to anything. It's a short-term fix that, yes, it might be right for your kid. We had a kid who, for complicated reasons that I won't go into, was a young kid for kindergarten and ended up staying in that class. And like, it was harder for him. He was younger and less mature and all of those things. But it's playing no defining role in his life overall, fundamentally. And I feel like that Right. there was a Malcolm Gladwell book a long time ago that did this analysis that was like, every professional soccer player is born in these three months or like some huge majority of them because they were the oldest kids in the grade and therefore they always ended up in the top spot in soccer. And they ended up, you know, always being on the best teams and becoming professionals. And I feel like people look at that kind of information and they're like, I can reverse engineer that and make the course of my kid's life turn out this very specific way. And that is the thing that you have to completely try to avoid as an overthinker or just as a parent in general. The myriad of factors that go into forming who your kid turns out to be, none of it can be traced back to one single decision. Like, that's just not how life works. You and I made the opposite decision for many reasons, I'm sure, in that situation. And from the standpoint of many years later for both of those kids, it's like, yeah, that seems like it was the right decision. Seems to be fine now. Yeah. And I feel like for my, I mean, I think I can't even be that like facile about it because I don't know. I think my kid would have had an easier road if he'd been in an, a later kid, but we couldn't make it work for boring, complicated reasons. But my decision is not like it all turned out the way it was supposed to. I'm like, yeah, it probably would have been better for him to be a class behind. But I didn't have control over it. And so, like, here we are. I'm more on the side of, like, it's not that it all turns out okay, because your kid's developmental problems may signal a problem that is going to be a challenge for you in their lives. But... I just want to take out the illusion of control out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know that you have control over all of these decisions. I just read something recently that blew my mind. So, you know, that Robert Frost poem, 
two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. You know that poem. Yes. I took the one less traveled that by. Has made, he took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. That was on like a plaque on my grandmother's wall when I was growing up. Like that's the poem that everybody knows. I read just during the last week that Robert Frost always kind of rolled his eyes at that being sort of his most famous legacy because he wrote that poem as a total goof on his friend who was telling the story about how stressed he was when he came to this divergent path in the woods and he stood there for a long time deciding what path to take. The poem is a joke. Like, I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost was trying to mock his friend for thinking which path you take in the woods is going to change the course of the rest of your life. Robert Frost was saying that wasn't true. That's funny because that's exactly what we're trying to get at, I think, which is like life is full of so many twists and turns. And I always say like when I was young, I thought it was doorways, you know, like I thought it was like you open this door and it leads this place. And that I've come to realize as an oldie locks that it's just pathways that are long and kind of diverge at different points and then separate. And there is no door. There is no like breastfeeding door leads to Ivy League College. Bottle feeding door leads to some other fate. You know, it's just that is absolutely not the way it turns out to be. I want to read this one that Lauren says, because I think it's pretty funny. She overthought getting her child to want to play with kids their own age. Between ages of one and a half and three, my son did not want to engage with same-aged peers. By the way, two-year-olds like parallel play. That's what they do, right? So she says, I thought about this often, researched, talked to the pediatrician, did early intervention, micromanaged playtime with strangers' children at the local children's museum, all so unnecessary. I mean, this is another developmental thing that can be an autism marker, right? Like kids who don't show interest in other kids. That's right. And it's one of those things that I feel like, first of all, it's impossible to make this happen. You know what I mean? Like if you have a kid who is not interested in playing with other kids, plopping them down with other kids and being like, look what Jack has is not going to make a difference. It's not going to actually change the outcome of whether or not your kid turns out to be a kid who has social differences, you know, that it's not going to work. But it is one of these things that like we read and it's like, okay, I have to, I am in control of this, not, you know, fate or medicine or anything else. And yeah, it's definitely on the overthinking list. Talking is another one. Charissa says, my son didn't say anything until three. I sought after all tests. What's wrong with this child? Once he began talking in complete sentences by four, you would never known he was only talking for a year. He's now six and doesn't ever stop. I secretly miss the mute days. <laughs> and this is, I think the facile thing that ends up happening with this is like, listen, my kid didn't talk till three and it was fine. It all worked out. At four, he talks fine. There's another path to this, which is like your kid isn't talking about at three. Sure. And he never develops meaningful language. And that's an issue that you have to work with for the rest of your life. And that may bring many blessings and paths that you would have never been on in your life. But like the fundamental thing is that a kid who's not talking at three you just have to wait and see if they're talking at four. You know, I've been watching a lot of Little House on the Prairie. You guys know this. This is a Little House on the Prairie podcast now. Well, I, you know what, Amy, I was going to abandon you and start a Little House on the Prairie podcast. Like episode by episode. Guess what? There already is an episode by episode Little House on the Prairie. Oh, you're, of course there is. Of course there is. So we're safe for now. We're going to keep doing this podcast. 
But in a recent episode, which I'm sure many people remember if they're as into the show as I was, Laura, the child, is bitten by what they think is a rabid raccoon. And they take her to Duck Baker. And Duck Baker's like, did the dog also get bitten? Yes, the dog also got bitten. He's like, great. If the dog turns rabid within eight days, you'll know that Laura is going to get rabies and die because a child gets rabies after four weeks or something. So you just got to watch the dog and see if it turns rabid. And then you'll know that Laura's a goner. Like, that's the whole plot of the episode. My, my daughter was looking at me like, why are we watching this? I was like, because it's awesome. But this is, it kind of made me think of like this episode of like, a lot of life is us trying to be like, we're going to figure this out. But really, you're just watching to see if the dog gets rabies. Like, that's all you can do. Some of us are just more wired. Like, I have a friend whose two-year-old was stung by a bee. And her, you know, well-meaning spouse said to her, well, you know, what do you think we should do? And my friend said that she explained to me that she said to him, well, we're going to see if he develops, you know, an anaphylactic reaction and either he'll die or we'll get him to the ER in time or he'll be fine. And I just, it occurred to me in this moment, she was telling me the story thinking that anybody's head would go there. And I was like, wow, my head would not go there if my kid was stung by a bee, that they might die. But hers did. And I do think that there are some among us who are more prone to this stuff to be preyed on by people who think you need to overthink everything. And so I think it's even harder for those people to navigate this is worth worrying about and this is not. By the way, her kid did not have an allergic reaction. It just that was like, wow, that was not something that I would have worried about. Yeah, where your brain goes. All right, we'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. And now, the way you thought things would go versus how they turned out. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The way you thought things would go. During quarantine, I thought it would be fun for us to explore some classics of literature as a family, starting with Black Beauty. How it turned out. It's not a stupid horse book. It's a classic of literature. You you know what? Never mind. Go back to the genius that is Captain Fartsalot in the Terror of Toilet Man. The way you thought things would go. Sweetie. I think we should take this time together to really focus on reconnecting as a couple. How it turned out. I swear, if you don't stop clomping around the house while I'm watching Selling Sunset, I will chop off your feet. The way you thought things would go. I think I'll blow up my hair and put some makeup on before going to the store today. I'm tired of looking like a slob. How it turned out. No, I don't want the senior discount. How old do you think I am? Stop calling me ma'am. The way you thought things would go. I'm going to stop looking at my phone at night and commit to better sleep health. How it turned out. Oh God, it's 1.45 a.m. I really need to go to bed. Just as soon as I take this quiz about which Buffy the Vampire Slayer character I would have been BFFs with. This has been the way you thought things would go versus the way they turned out. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, let's lead in with Nicola, who says, making charts to work out. This was what she overthought. Making charts to work out where there would be five minutes to get something done while looking after my first baby. Seems hilarious now. If only I could go back and tell myself, you won't solve this one. The answer is childcare. I am one chart away from making this happen. I always say, like, I am one decorative basket from having a nice home. Like, I can't stop buying decorative baskets because I just so firmly believe in the myth that, like, I can have a clean and organized pottery barn catalog home with enough decorative baskets. Spoiler alert, my house is a mess because we're messy people. You know, there is no magic basket that's going to fix what's wrong with us. I'm still a little bit party to this, but I think what you're caught in in this moment, you can't embrace the season of what you're in because it feels like this is my life now. This is how it is now. I have to figure out how I'm going to get things done with a newborn who nurses 90 minutes out of every 60, because this is how it is now. You don't have the perspective of give it three months. Right. You don't want to accept the reality. This is like friends with baby at the bar. I always use that example, too, which is like you go to the like night, like a bar. I was single until I was 36. So like all my friends had babies and there was a just a certain segment of my friends who would show up at like the hot place where we went for dinner, like in like heels and low cut tops and like, woo woo, we're out in LA being fancy and they would have their baby. And I would be like, you know, it's over, hon. I'm sorry. But like bringing the baby does not make this the same experience, you know, like they just had to take that six months to be like, oh, it's not fun to go hang out at like the hot sushi place and like look at cute boys when you have a baby in in an infant carrier with you. It's just, you have to realize that like this isn't happening. Well, yeah, you you need to relax and be like, and it will happen again in X months or years or whatever. Like just chill and be where you are. But it's hard to do that when the world is telling you not to. 
but it's hard because you don't really want to be where you are. And no one's allowed to admit that they don't really want to be where they are. You know, yep. you don't really want to be like watching Roseanne reruns in like a stained T-shirt breastfeeding a baby while your friends are at the bar. You want to be like, I'm still that person. I can still make it happen. And I think so much of what we're learning about overthinking in this episode is that it's really about that denial thing. It's like humans just are not good at facing <laughs> truths. And so there is this like magical thinking of like, if I just move this money from this account to this account, I can cover this thing. And it's like, right, that doesn't mean you have any more money. There's still not enough money. But like, your instinct is rarely to say, I don't have enough money. Your instinct is always to like, give yourself some magical world in which Look at if I move the money this way, it'll work. <laughs> I mean, anybody, right. I don't mean your, I mean our human condition. Allison has one that this was totally me about her second child. She says, my first child was just under three when my second child was born and I was obsessed with how she would take it. I read everything, spent hundreds on a three-year-old birthday party. She totally didn't care. One day she had a sister and that was cool. Okay, going to go play. It wasn't quite that smooth for me, but I wasn't even worried about how my kid could take it. I think I was worried about how am I ever going to be able to take care of two children and how will I make it okay for my older child not getting like what happens as soon as they're born, right? That you have like, it's like chocolate ice cream and a birthday present. They're like two wonderful things. It's fine. I did overthink this one a lot. I think that's the whole thing is like looking at the hard truths of like, it isn't going to be the same for your kid. Now there's two, you know, it's just fundamentally that kid's life is never going to be the same. They had two parents who spent all their time on them and now they're going to start sharing it. Like, and so we're like, we're going to bring you a teddy bear and make it okay. Or we're going to do this and we're going to do that because the central truth is something that's bothering you. And I think if you really look at that central truth, it's not that scary. Like, oh, it's probably even better for her that kids aren't, you know, that the parents aren't staring at her all the time. But this is to me bringing the siblings a gift on the other sibling's birthday so they don't feel bad. I'm always kind of mystified by that. Like, guys, life is harder than this. Like, you're not really setting your kid up for success by being like, you're never going to have a day where someone gets something that you don't. That's just a bad life lesson right there. I want to read this one from Teresa because this is definitely one I didn't even know one could worry about. She says, I spent hours researching left-handed scissors for my kid. Hours. Did she need them? Are they worth it? What's the difference? See, I think it's the left-handed scissors. I think that is the, like, somebody made left-handed scissors, which is not a thing that the toddler needs and then convinced you that you needed to make sure your left-handed child had the right kind. I have to ask my sister. She's a left-handed adult. Did she suffer for the lack of left-handed scissors as a child? I think, again, I'm just harping on my theme, but I'm really feeling it because it's occurring to me. I think one of the things about overthinking, and this is something, I had a kid who was terrified. Does everyone remember Momo? There was like a, do you know Momo, Amy? Was that a thing everywhere? Yeah. The Momo's going to like come show up on your YouTube video and scare your kid or whatever. Yeah. It was like this really scary puppet, a really scary puppet face. And that someone had told my kid that like it pops out when you watch YouTube videos and he got obsessed with it and like so scared of Momo. Obsessed with not seeing Momo, right? I haven't seen Momo, but what if I do? So scared of Momo that like, I'm going to see Momo. He like had seen the face one time. He's like, it's the scariest face I ever saw. And it became this huge problem. And then finally, I was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the internet. We're going to look at a picture of Momo. 
and realize that it's not as scary as you think. And he was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I was like, I think it's really going to help you. And we pulled up a picture of Momo. And I was like, when you're ready, open your eyes. And he like stared at it. And he was like, huh. And I was like, but look at it. It's a puppet. It's not as scary as you think, you know. And all this to say that this is advice I give my kids all the time. When you're scared of something, think about it more. You get more scared of it the more you try to hold it away from yourself. And I think left-handed scissors is basically like, I'm afraid that my kid is going to have trouble in school. I'm afraid that my kid is going to be different than other kids. I'm afraid that it's all of these worries that coalesce in left-handed scissors, right? Right. And Danielle has one that I love that is so sweet. Prior to kindergarten, I was freaking out about lunch. When eating a sandwich, what was he going to put it down on between bites? Do I have to send him with a paper plate or placemats? I was obsessed. And she says like three times, please don't judge me. We're not judging you, Danielle. We love you. A friend introduced me to reusable salmon wraps just before school started. Ah, thank goodness. And so Danielle knows, right? And now looking back, that fear is not really about like, how does a kid eat a sandwich? Because kids have figured that out forever, right? And like that fear is like, I'm sending my kids somewhere where I don't have control over them anymore, right? Like, I feel this all the time. My kids are getting to an age now where they do stuff by themselves. And I'm like, do I have to tell them chew carrots really carefully? (laughs) Like, you know, it's like everything. It's that fear and that overthinking. It's just the whole sensation of like, I'm afraid to look at the thing, which is like my kid will be out of my control for six hours a day. And the thing that you don't think of. So this makes me think of when my oldest was applying to nursery school in New York City, which is a whole thing oceans of ink have been it's it's crazy about you apply to nursery school that whole phrase is very new york city people are like what does this mean applying to nursery school yeah no you have a play date and they show up in like their nicest clothes and like they better behave like my kid like threw a truck at one of them and we did not get into that nursery school (laughs) and there is a complete present likely chance that your kid could not get in anywhere. So it's something that parents are totally mocked for overthinking, but like you have to overthink it. Anyway, he goes to the play day and I have taught him how to be polite. I have like taught him to say, please and thank you. I think I have everything covered. Have I overthought this moment? Yes, I have. And then they sit down for snacks. Oh, and by the way, so the parents were supposed to be like, we're lined up against the wall and our kids are in the room like playing with toys and sitting down at the little tables. And part of the test is how well they separate from you. So he's doing great. And then they He's acing it. This one year and nine month old kid, whatever, is acing it. So they walk around and they put some goldfish on a little, you know, napkin because it's snack time and they want to see will the kid sit down for snack time. He's sitting nicely in his chair. And then they put in front of him a Dixie cup, like a like tiny paper cup that kind of fall apart as soon as they start to get soggy of water. And here is where I have failed. I have never taught my, you know, toddler to drink out of a real cup. He's only ever drunk out of sippy cups oh shame shame ring the shame bell and i was like oh how could i have forgotten this like a real cup and he's like trying to lift it to his mouth and it's falling apart in his hand. of course it ends up all over him and yeah the earth did not open up and swallow me up but like there's the perfect example i thought of everything except the thing i didn't think of and he still went to nursery school we can only say you're overthinking like if we looked back on that and my kid had not gotten into nursery school and it had just been a low you know 
a slide down into sadness ever since then. I'd be like, see, I really should have. I didn't overthink it. It was the Dixie Cup. The Dixie Cup. That's where it all turned. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's very few moments like that. There certainly are moments like that. And that's why we worry so much. Like certainly the worst things happen sometimes. Like you forget to tell your kid to look both ways and they don't. They get hit by a car. But like the problem is that doesn't happen because you forgot to tell the kid to look both ways. Like bad, bad things happen. And that's my Momo example is like, I think it's worth it when you find yourself really overthinking stuff to have a moment with yourself and think, what am I really scared of? I'm scared my kid would go to school and get sick. I'm afraid my kid will go to school and no one will look after him as well as I do and he will get hurt or killed. Like, I'm afraid that my kid will choke during the cafeteria and no one will notice because this stuff is going on in the lower part of your brain all the time. This like that scary, like the lizard brain is screaming at you. Like, do you know that kids choke to death in school cafeterias? And like, you're like, I can't allow myself to think that thought because it's too scary or I will somehow summon that to me by saying it out loud or whatever crazy Irish Catholic stuff that we have that's like, you know, you never mention bad things because somehow then God sees you. Look, all this craziness. And I think so much of this overthinking boils down to like, I'm really scared scared. And I, it's hard to have a kid walking around outside my body who is very vulnerable. I want to finish with Jessica's because I think she says this so beautifully. I have twins. I overthought and read so much during my pregnancy about breastfeeding and caring for multiples. And then I was put on bed rest for preeclampsia and they were born early. I tried, but they did not latch. I gave up after I brought them home and continued pumping. Having preemies and one who has continued to have special needs has taught me that I can read and plan as much as I want to, but it's often better to go with my gut. I allow myself one or two parenting books per year now and do not stress if things don't go as planned. Well said, Jessica. Jessica solved it for us. I mean, I think so much of this is that we're holding things that we're frightened of away from us by picking the perfect bento box that doesn't have BPAs or whatever in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And listen, if that comforts you, if that is a soothing thing in the same way that like biting your nails might be soothing or rocking back and forth in a fetal position in bed might be soothing as school starts to reopen, do what is soothing to you. But if it becomes thinking to the point where it's not soothing to you anymore. Don't be afraid to like get underneath it a little bit and realize that like, if the worst happens, I'll handle that when it comes. And that'll be fine too. Well said. Solved it, Amy. Solved it. What are you guys overthinking? Come tell us on Facebook, on our page and our group. You can find us at facebook.com slash whatfreshhellcast. Or you can find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. We're on Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. Just search What Fresh Hell Podcast. You'll find us on all the things. And you can always find all our episodes on our website, which is whatfreshhellpodcast.com. All right, overthinkers. Don't overthink it. Go start your <laughs> overthinking. You got another week to go before there's a new episode. We'll talk to you then. Go along. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.